You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Sonic Wall Zero Days are under active exploitation. Mitigations are available. Pulse Secure VPN is also undergoing exploitation, probably by China, and mitigations are available here too. The U.S. begins work on shoring up power grid cybersecurity. Cyber ops rise with Russo-Ukrainian tension. The help desk at ISIS tells jihadists to stay away from Bitcoin. Joe Kerrigan looks at cryptocurrency anonymity. Our guest is Bert Kashyap from Secure W2 on what needs to be done before devices used for learning from home return to schools. And is your password inspired by cinema? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 21st, 2021. SonicWall has issued mitigations for three zero days affecting its email security products. FireEye discovered that the vulnerabilities were under active exploitation and disclosed the security issues to SonicWall. Attribution is unclear, but FireEye's Mandiant unit is tracking the activity as UNC-2682. The threat actor's goals are unknown. Pulse Security is addressing vulnerabilities in the Pulse Connect Secure VPN, publicly reported yesterday by FireEye's Mandiant Unit. CISA, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, has issued an alert on the vulnerabilities, providing technical details and urging organizations to apply the mitigations Pulse Secure has provided. CISA says, quote, The cyber threat actor is using exploited devices located on residential IP space, including publicly-facing network-attached storage devices and small home business routers from multiple vendors to proxy their connection to interact with the web shells they placed on these devices. These devices, which the threat actor is using to proxy the connection, correlate with the country of the victim and allow the actor activity to blend in with normal telework user activity. End quote. There's no clear evidence yet of lateral movement, but no one should get cocky about this. Federal agencies are getting more than encouragement from CISA. The agency yesterday issued Emergency Directive 2103, 
requiring all organizations under its jurisdiction to enumerate all instances of PulseConnect secure virtual and hardware appliances hosted by the agency or a third party on the agency's behalf. And then, by 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time this Friday, to run the PulseConnect Secure Integrity tool on every such instance. According to Reuters, exploitation of the secure email product, which heavily affects U.S. and European defense firms, is being attributed to Chinese intelligence services. Nikkei suggests Japanese firms are also affected. The Chinese government dismisses FireEye's attribution as irresponsible and ill-intentioned, because Beijing, quote, firmly opposes and cracks down on all forms of cyber attacks, end quote. But to most observers, it looks like espionage in progress. CISA is encouraging anyone who has additional information on the threat to contact them. In fairness to Beijing, not all the groups actively seeking to exploit pulse-secure vulnerabilities are believed to be working on behalf of the Chinese government. CSO and others point out that several different threat actors have been working against Pulse Secure. In this respect, the incident resembles the Microsoft Exchange server exploitation, where criminal gangs jumped onto the vulnerabilities in the wake of the apparently state-run campaign. The U.S. has begun a 100-day program to increase the cybersecurity of its power grid, The U.S. Department of Energy describes the plan as a coordinated effort between DOE, the electricity industry, and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. The Energy Department is soliciting input from industry. Security Week observes that this 100-day plan would be the effort of Ann Neuberger, the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber, alluded to earlier this month as a project that was in the works. Elsewhere in the world, as tensions rise between Russia and Ukraine and as Russia increases troop presence and readiness along the border Moscow disputes with Kiev, U.S. News reports that Ukraine has seen an increase in the tempo of Russian offensive cyber activity. The U.S. is said to be quietly offering Ukraine support in fending off Russian cyber attacks. The Electronic Horizons Foundation, a group generally regarded as an ISIS cybersecurity support outfit, warned adherents of the jihadist group to steer clear of Bitcoin, it's too easily tracked, and recommends Monero instead, Homeland Security Today reports. It's a bad idea, the EHF says, quote, for financial transactions and money transfer as Bitcoin logs the financial records and transactions on the blockchain, which is a database of Bitcoin transactions, and allows tracking of transfers from the sender and receiver, end quote. Besides, the EHF thinks the Bitcoiners are a bunch of government stooges, quote, We also warn that the money transfer services and sites to Bitcoin logs IP addresses and the purchase data of Bitcoin currency, and these sites also cooperate with government agencies, end quote. They say that they advise their brothers to follow the maximum possible security measures, and to avoid using common methods in financial transactions. And finally, to all of us who use Ninja or Camaro or Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend as the password for everything, did you know that there are other genres of lame credentials out there? Spec Ops, which previously ranked the Major League Baseball teams, whose names are most likely to be used as passwords, now has published a list of the most commonly used movie titles. 
Rocky tops the list, followed closely by Hook, Matrix, Batman, Psycho, Superman, Avatar, Mummy, Twilight, and Star Wars. The second ten are Spider-Man, Frozen, X-Men, Iron Man, Jaws, Shrek, Twister, Gladiator, Titanic, and rounding out the top 20, Terminator. Why these? Well, Star Wars, Titanic, Jaws, and Avatar all appear among the top 20 grossing films in the U.S., so simple popularity may account for four of the password choices. But the others are odd. Why Twister, for example, and not Sharknado? Why Twilight and not Dracula? Easier to spell? And where's V for Vendetta? Is there no love for the Guy Fox masks the flick made popular? Anyway, the list probably calls for some attention from culture critics. We're okay because we use last year at Marienbad for everything, with the A's represented by the at symbol. No one would guess that. It, oh, dang it. Now we're going to have to change to the work of a director other than Alain Renault. Maybe Sharknado is still available. What do you think? Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. We are witnessing the successful mass distribution of COVID vaccines, and with it a growing sense of hope that come this fall, students may be headed back to school in a fairly normal way. The IT and security folks responsible for handling that first-week flood of new users and devices will no doubt face a unique situation this year, transitioning from at-home online learning to on-site or hybrid learning. Bert Kashyap is co-founder of Seattle-based cybersecurity company Secure W2, and he joins us with insights on how the education sector needs to shore up their security. 
You know, school districts have been embracing more and more of a digital learning model. That's not necessarily new, but, uh, and certainly universities have been sort of in the forefront of, uh, you know, bring your own device. But I think the pandemic has generally accelerated a lot of these, uh, you know, digital learning initiatives. And I think that, you know, many districts are faced with kind of a dual challenge where, uh, they are going to have to support devices that, that they issue themselves as well as devices that um, students are using on their own today. And many had to use early in the pandemic before they were able to do some one-to-one initiatives to try and get devices in the hands of students. And so how are they preparing for that? What sort of things are they putting in place? So a couple of things that they're doing. Uh, one is they're you know implementing some you know, distribution mechanisms to get these devices. Secondly, some management software to try and get uh, devices uh, managed centrally. This is easier done in, in, you know, in a very clear-cut managed environments where they have, say, a, a tranche of Chromebooks or iPads that they can issue. Um, there's good management software. But in more bring-your-own-device scenarios, there's not a lot of good answers. So districts don't want to, and the universities as well, don't want to be in the business of, you know, taking over the controls of uh, devices that they don't own. And this is a strategic challenge, especially if they're going to have to allow these devices onto their own networks and infrastructures. Do you have any recommendations for the people who are responsible for this of, of how they go about, you know, making their case to their, to the powers that be, to their, their boards of education, to their communities that, you know, these are investments that are, uh, that's money well spent? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so th- there's a couple of areas in which um, districts and district superintendents uh, can really reach out to their, the boards and uh uh, get the allocated budget dollars for cybersecurity. I think that some of the key things they could focus on is, uh, you know, obviously the disruption that, um, you know, these types of digital learning initiatives can have on, you know, learning for, uh, for their students. Just, you know, we saw just a couple of days ago with a Microsoft Teams outage. I know my, my daughter had, uh, you know, basically no instruction that day. Uh, and so we do hear, you know, Areas, things like malware and, and uh, potential ransomware issues in districts that, you know, really cause significant disruption in education. So I think paying attention to cybersecurity is not just good from, a, you know, uh, from, from just a, from a basic security best practice approach, but it also is good, you know, to make sure that things are reliable and districts can function properly in digital learning initiatives. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest things that they could focus on. That's Bert Kashyap from Secure W2. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. 
And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting story uh, from the Decrypt website, uh, mm-hmm. an uh, article by Matthew DeSalvo, and it's titled, Bitcoin is a boon for surveillance, says former CIA director. What's going on here, Joe? So the Crypto Council for Innovation has released a report. Uh, it's by Michael Morell, who is the former acting head or director of the CIA, along with uh, a guy named John Kirshner and Thomas Schoenberger. They both work for Beacon Global Strategies. And uh, the, the Crypto Council for Innovation is a essentially a PR organization for cryptocurrencies founded by Coinbase, which is a cryptocurrency ex- exchange, uh, Paradigm, which is a cryptocurrency venture capital firm, and Fidelity and Payment Processor Square. So hmm. two companies that are big in, in finance and then two companies that are in cryptocurrency that are pretty big in cryptocurrency. I mean, Coinbase has been in the, in the news a lot lately, so you may have heard of them. Um, but there's, a, there's this, um, this belief system, or belief rather, that's been around for a while. And uh, U.S. Treasury uh, Secretary said, uh, Janet Yellen expressed worry that Bitcoin was often, quote, used for illicit finance. Uh, and the European Central Bank's president, Christine Lagarde, or Lagarda, I don't know how you pronounce that, sorry if I'm mangling your name, said in January that Bitcoin was used for, quote, funny business and money laundering. Um, However, Morell says two things. He says, one, right now, less than 1% of Bitcoin is illicit, one, or 1% of Bitcoin activity is illicit. So uh, when Bitcoin uh, first started uh, and at, at its peak, there's a graph in this, in this report that shows illicit activity around 7% of Bitcoin, and now it's less than 1%. So it's really, really small. Uh, I would, I would like to know what percentage of cash is used in illicit transactions. Um, <laughs> okay. By right. comparison, that would, that would have been helpful to know actually. Uh, and number two, and this is the more interesting thing he says is that blockchain provides an excellent forensic tool. It's much easier to trace Bitcoin than it is to trace cash, which is true because you can put cash in a truck and drive it, drive it anywhere in the world, and it's still cash. But you can't really do that with Bitcoin. You have every Bitcoin transaction has to be made in public on a public ledger, mm-hmm. and if I can associate a particular individual with a particular private key, uh, then I can associate that private key with the public key, which is essentially their Bitcoin address, right? And then I can track every single transaction that person has made with that that public key, private key pair. Right. One source for the report was quoted as saying, if all criminals use blockchain, we could wipe out illicit uh, financial activity. I think that's (laughs) overstated. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, um, I – go on. It's it's really dependent upon getting the the private keys and – unmasking these people because there is a certain amount of anonymity in Bitcoin in that you don't really know who, who it is that holds the keys. Uh, and that's right. the point. But, uh, if you can demonstrate that, that this financial criminal, whoever it is, uh, is the person that holds those keys and you can, then you can associate all of their financial transactions they made with those keys. Yeah. There, there is a, a, another wrinkle to this. Uh, everybody thinks only about Bitcoin when they think about cryptocurrency, or many people only think about Bitcoin. Uh, but there is privacy-preserving coins like Monero and Zcash. And Monero is more favored for illicit activity and has a higher percentage of, of illicit transactions in Bitcoin. Yeah. 
I, and I think that's an important point. I mean, I, I think part of what's going on here is that Bitcoin is kind of the the Xerox of cryptocurrency. You know, it's right. it's the if you it's the default name. It's the it's the Xerox. It's the Vaseline. It's the Q-tip. You know, it's the yep. it's yep. the brand that that does represent the thing. Um, so I think when they say Bitcoin is being used for illicit things, I think most people, when they hear that, they just, they substitute cryptocurrency. And I I don't think that's exactly out of line. While it might not be precise, you can understand people having that line of thinking. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, it's a good point. It's a good analogy, Dave, that, that people, people do think that about, about these cryptocurrencies, but they, these cryptocurrencies all have different features. Yeah. Like the Ethereum uh, blockchain lets you do smart contracts on top of it a lot mm-hmm. easier than I think you can do that with Bitcoin. I'm not exactly sure, but it's, it's not really something that's uh, that is used a lot, but in, in, in the Ethereum network, it is used frequently. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I guess I, I, their point is well taken. I guess I'm a little skeptical because this is by their own admission, uh, uh, an organization who's out there trying to promote the use of cryptocurrencies. Right. Uh, so I don't begrudge them that they're upfront about it, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yep. we know what direction they're coming at this report from. Uh, and, and I wonder how things like tumblers play into this. Cause you know, there's, there's no doubt that Bitcoin is used for these sorts of things, but I suppose if they're making the point that, well, only a small percentage of Bitcoin transactions are used for illicit things, perhaps, but, uh, I don't know. I, it's hard to, it's hard for me to, to weight the importance of those kinds of things right yeah yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. no but some interesting statistics here for sure uh if this is your thing it's an article worth checking out again it's titled bitcoin is a boon for surveillance says former cia director it's over on the decrypt website joe kerrigan thanks for joining us it's my pleasure dave And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us.
And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 